I'm a hobbyist for sure. And I, I, one of my hobbies, well, one of the many, uh, one that I've had my entire life be, before, before I had any money I could spend, before I had, um, before I had a vehicle to drive somewhere, before any of that, before all my, my freedom, I could collect knowledge, I could collect facts. PBS is free, and it's broadcast across the entire nation. I used to watch a lot of Nova. Uh, still do to this day. One of my favorite shows. And uh, so, trivia comes up a lot in my sermons because it's something I really like. I did a report on this animal in third grade. You guys have any idea what the largest animal in the world is to have ever lived? Sorry, what? That the largest animal to have ever lived that we know of. The blue whale? Any other guesses? The blue whale's right. Okay, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna trust you. The blue whale's right. <laughs> it can. It's 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 big. That's that's just how to say it. Uh, you can swim through its arteries. A full-grown man could swim through its arteries. I mean, it would be a tight fit, but you could do it. And actually, the blue whale is the home of the largest single cell. That we know of, uh, it's an axon, which is a nerve cell, can, 70 feet long. One axon is 70 feet long. It's just incredible. And it can weigh, uh, be, it can be up to 100 feet long. It can weigh up to 200 tons, which is a lot. Um, but, you know, things get bigger in the ocean than they do on land. Do you guys have any idea what the largest thing you have ever lived on land is? It's a dinosaur. It is a dinosaur. But do you know specifically what kind of dinosaur? Brontosaurus is in the right direction. It was a big one. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Titanosaurus is the class that it's in. Uh, it's named after a country, South America. Brazil. <laughs> Argentinosaurus. It's the Argentinosaurus. Okay, here's a skeleton. I wish there was a person standing here for scale, but like a giraffe or a, an elephant can like fit under the back of its tail. Like it's, it's huge. It can be up to 130 feet long and weigh 100 tons, which the Argentinosaurus was literally pushing the boundaries of physics to how large something could get before it starts collapsing under its own weight because as you scale up, you get heavier. So it just stops working at some point on Earth's gravity. What did he eat? Grass. Well, trees. I don't know. I mean, what ate it is a better question because I don't know if anything could. Maybe a baby. But no matter how big these animals are, they are not even in the same class, not even in the same scope as the largest living organism. What do you think is the largest living organism? Tom. <laughs> Everybody forget that you heard that. I know none of you know it. It's the aspen tree. <laughs> no, I'm glad you're here, Tom. You're, you're another lover of facts, and I love that. So the aspen tree uh, looks like a singular tree. I mean, it's not that impressive. I mean, compared to like an oak tree, even the young oak trees we have out in front of our church, it's small. They they can only get like 80 feet tall at most. And they're pretty short-lived trees, a maximum of 120 years. 
So they don't look that big, especially compared to something like a sequoia that's just way more massive. But aspen trees are actually really unique in how they grow because uh, most trees and plants, uh, they pollinate and they make seeds and those seeds get distributed and then they germinate. They root and they grow and they're, they're individual trees, right? So each oak tree is its own oak tree and each maple is its own maple. But the aspen trees do have seeds like that. But once they root, they don't only rely on seeds. They can actually shoot out their roots and they, they shoot up new trunks at the edge of their roots and then those can grow and they shoot out more and they can grow. And this is their main way of propagation. And this new, uh, this intertangled root system actually makes them one tree. They're, it's called a stand when you have a bunch of trees. And uh, the aspen trees are actually called clones because they're genetically identical. identical. They're the same tree. It's not like a seed and a new tree. It's literally all part of the same tree. They're all connected. And we're not sure how big the biggest stand of aspen trees are, but the largest one that we know of that we can clearly define is the one you see here. Is pando, which means to spread out in Latin. It's a good name. And it's in Fish Lake uh, Forest in Utah. That is one tree. That entire, all the aspens you see in that photo are one tree. And, yeah, we're talking about the blue whale, 200 tons. We're talking about the Argentinosaurus, 100 tons. The estimated weight of this stand of aspen trees as one tree is 6,000 tons. To put that in perspective, you guys know how big an F-150 is, right? right? You see them all. They're the most popular truck in America. And they weigh between two and three tons, depending on your trim package. So you would need somewhere around 2,500 F-150s to match the weight of this one tree. That's a lot. I was going to do the math for ping pong balls, but I didn't want to. It's a lot. It's a lot. It's a weight. But the thing is, is that these, these trees, because of their system of growing, are the most distributed tree in North America. They're extremely resilient. And they're the second most distributed in the world. I think the red alder has the widest range, but the aspen in North America is king. I mean, it it can grow pretty much everywhere. And there may even be stands larger than pando, uh, especially in the sprawling forests of Colorado. It's just hard to know when one stops and the next one begins. You have to do, like, radioactive testing and find dye, and it's a lot of work. Um, But this one's pretty clearly defined, and they can test that it's all one. And so because of their interconnected root system, uh, it's really cool. They can actually share nutrients and water. Um, And they can send, let's say there's a really healthy tree and there's this tree that gets broken. It can actually divert itself, its energy, over to the other tree to help it heal. Or if it needs more water or if it gets eaten by a deer or something, it can... It can heal its other limbs. Essentially, that's what they are. Is the body is underneath the ground, and each of these trunks are limbs of the body. And each tree, as I said, can only live to be about 120 years old, each individual trunk. But the entire organism can live for thousands of years. Pando is estimated to be really old, like thousands and thousands and thousands of years old. And so there's just this life cycle of, these shoots growing up and dying, and then it sends the nutrients back into the ground to feed the next generation. And on top of that, this unique growing style allows the aspens to survive 
disasters that most trees can't handle. So imagine a fire just tears through the landscape or an avalanche comes down the mountain and it wipes out all the trees. Well, because this massive root system and the energy stored in it, uh, a stand of aspens can shoot up hundreds, even thousands of trees at one time. Just like imagine everything wiped out and then like two weeks later, there's thousands of aspen trees growing up. It's pretty cool. And it makes them extremely resilient, which is why they've lasted so long. And another cool fact about aspens is that white bark is actually living tissue, unlike the bark of most trees. It can actually photosynthesize. So they even grow during the winter. It's pretty cool. Um, and they also, you know, known for uh, chemicals that for healing, like aspirin is named after uh, an aspen tree. And on top of that, on top of all the amazing things that this tree does, it uh, influences its surroundings, right? It makes the ecosystem rich. It, it gives food to a lot of animals. It enriches the soil. It controls erosion. It creates shelter. And so today we're talking about community. And the, the aspen tree just really seemed like such a good example of what it means to really be connected and to care for each other and to get through any situation. So I was partially inspired by this message, for this message last week when I saw Cam's family and friends all come out. So like, I like brought 30 people or something. And I was like, wow, that really made me see how essential community is. And so I wanted to talk about it. And I wanted to talk about the church, the family God, and how he designed it all to work. And community is a common experience for all of us, right? You can't escape it. It appears naturally. Uh, Psychologists know that everywhere there are people, community just pops up. It just happens. Um, You have, you're probably part of a bunch of different communities, families, jobs, friends, organizations, the list goes on. And even, ironically, even like anti-establishment people form their own communities because they share the common identity. It's just, no one can escape it. You got all the the kids who are goth and they want to be alone. Well, they're all going to come together. You know, (laughs) it's just how it works. Even monks, they're like, I don't want to, I just want to separate myself. So let's go together and separate ourselves. It's impossible. A community is so essential. And as Chuck says... Let's start at the beginning, and when we get to the end, let's finish. So that's what we're going to do. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 2, and we're going to look at where community begins. If you want to hear more words of wisdom from Chuck like that one, tune into Breakfast Theology. So in Genesis chapter 2, God is creating everything, just that small bit. Uh, Don't want to skim over that too lightly. (laughs) God's creating everything, and he creates this garden, paradise, and he puts man in it. And let's look at verse 18. So then the Lord said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So God recognizes that, hey, Adam needs someone around here. Um, Actually, let's go to verse 15 real quick before we get there, because there is some backstory we need. So God took man, he put him into the garden, cultivated it. Then the Lord commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you can eat freely, 
but you can't eat of this tree or you're going to die. So he makes some ground rules. And then he says, it's not good for you to be alone. So after he sets the ground rules, he says, it's not good for you to be alone. So out of the ground, the Lord formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man. So he would, so he could name them. And whatever the man called the living creatures, that was its name. All right, so the man gave names to all the cattle and all the birds of the sky and every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was, no, there was not found a suitable helper. So here's Adam. He's in this paradise, and God's like, mm, you're going to get yourself into trouble if you're by yourself, if you've ever left a boy alone and it's quiet. That's when they get in trouble. So God's like, we... <laughs> It's the same with Obi. If it's quiet, he's probably doing something he's not supposed to. So God creates this paradise, and he's like, I don't want you to be alone. So he creates all these animals, and and Adam's going through, and he's looking at all the animals, right? So he sees the horse. He's like, wow, that's really cool. I want to try riding that sometime, but it's not like me, right? And then the Bernie Doodle comes along, and he's like, wow, that's really cute. You have a lot of energy. Stop chewing my shoes, but you're not like me. And the parrot comes along. He's like, wow, that's really pretty. Why are you repeating after me? But you're still not like me. And he sees all the animals, but he doesn't see himself in creation. And he's lonely. And that's not good. So God fixes the problem. Look at verse 21 here. So the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord... God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So Eve is created, and this is the first woman, and Adam finally gets to see himself in someone else, right? It's the first creation. He Forget the dogs, forget the red pandas, forget the peng, pangolins, okay? He sees Eve, and he realizes we're the same, right? Immediately. We are the same, me and you. I mean, we're obviously different in some ways, but I see myself in you. And from that point on, this is the first community, right? The first two people, they can't help it, but form community. And it's a perfect community. Adam and Eve, they, they were bound so close, they were called one flesh. They were completely vulnerable with each other, right? There was nothing hidden. They were completely vulnerable with each other. And on top of that, there was no shame, right? So this um, community of peace and love and and Unity is what God intended. And I love it when the world finally catches up to what God has said. Right? So a few decades ago, a really bunch of smart psychologists came up with the term mirroring, right? Which is where you see yourself in the acts of others, where you, where you see yourself, your interests, your personality, your problems, and other people. And they thought this was this big breakthrough. Like, you can't truly understand yourself until you see yourself in someone else. And that's exactly what God said 4,000 years ago. That's exactly what was written down here in Genesis chapter 2 from the very beginning. Because Adam saw himself in Eve. And because of that, he was excited. 
he actually got to see himself in God's creation. And this commonality formed community and a perfect community. But the story goes on. And Adam and Eve mess up. And sinner is the world. And then this perfect community breaks down. Suddenly, there is shame. Suddenly, there is division between Adam and Eve, between them and God. Because God was a part of that community. So God no longer was as close to them. He couldn't be with them because of their sin. He couldn't be with them like he intended. But God still wants to be in community. He wants to be with us like he was. And he accomplishes this by reconciling us, by bringing us back to him. Look at what 2 Corinthians 5 says. I have it here on the screen. 17 through 21. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sin against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So in this verse, we see the healing of the broken situation that we're in. God reconciles us back to himself, and that's a word that just means to make right a division between two parties. So you have two enemies, or a couple is fighting, or you're fighting with your friend, and you make peace, you make up. That's reconciliation. And so God makes peace with us because of his son, through his son. And now and we can be back in community with him. We can, importantly, be back in community with each other like God intended it to be. So the Oxford Dictionary says that community is fellowship with others based on the common attitudes, interests, and goals. Right? So there's some criteria that you have to share to form community. And in this passage, in 2 Corinthians 5, we see that we have a lot of commonalities. First of all, we share a common story. So there is reconciliation needed. That's what we saw in Genesis all the way from the beginning with sin. There's reconciliation needed. And reconciliation is accomplished through Christ. So we all have the same story, and it may not seem like it. Like, obviously, Cheryl grew up differently than I did, and Joe's had a different life than I have. So it may seem like, oh, we don't have the same story, but in fact we do, because everybody is born into sin. I know a lot of people say, like, oh, I was born a Christian. Or What you really mean is you've tried to live obediently since you can remember, but you can't actually be born a Christian. Sorry, you're born a sinner. You're born under judgment because of the fallen world. And you become a Christian when you decide to live for Jesus, to obediently follow him. And so we all have this common backstory, the common origin story of being lost in sin. And the next commonality 
that we see here is that we all have the same Savior. So we have the same story. We have the same Savior, the one who's bringing us back to God, who has done that through one baptism and filled us with one spirit. And we all have the same assignment. So 2 Corinthians says that we are ambassadors. We have a job of bringing people to Christ so that they too can also be reconciled, that they can be made right with God. And they can join the common community that we have as believers. And they can also be in community with God and his son. So there are three major shared identity markers. And it's the glue that holds the church together. So I want, us, uh, I want to highlight real quick an issue with Western church or modern church, whatever you want to call it. And the problem that I see is that people put an emphasis on the individual. Right? It's about your particular relationship with God, your individual relationship. And it also puts a lot of emphasis on weekly attendance. But what we see in Scripture is not what we see in the United States. In Scripture, it's not the emphasis on the individual, but as the group as a whole. And the strength of the group, and the group's relationship with God, and the God's relationship with the group. And the weekly activities, the the intermingling of people's lives and living with each other and for each other. Not to say that we don't have a personal relationship with God, because we do. We definitely do. We have an individual relationship with God. But we also are a part of this much bigger thing. We, We need to stop thinking individually. We need to start thinking communally. And to prove that point... I just want to show you the one another verses. That's what I'm going to call them. So we're just going to go here real quick, and the references will be on the screen. So love one another, be devoted to one another, honor one another above yourself, live in harmony with one another, build up one another, be like-minded towards one another, accept one another, admonish one another, greet one another, care for one another, serve for one another, bear one another's burdens, forgive one another, be patient with one another. Be kind and compassionate to one another. We're not done. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Submit to one another. Consider others better than yourself. Look to the interests of one another. Bear with one another. Teach one another. Comfort one another. Encourage one another. Exhort one another. Stir up one another to love and good works. Show hospitality to one another. Employ the gifts that God has given us for the benefit of one another. Clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. Pray for one another. Confess your faults to one another. Obviously, there's an emphasis on community in Scripture. And the point of Christian community is to bind us together so that we can overcome difficulty, so that we can learn from one another, so that we can support and lift up each other. It brings to mind the idea of loyalty and honor and mission and challenge and vulnerability. A community that is supposed to be free of shame and filled with love And does that sound refreshing to anybody else? Adam and Eve were not made to be alone. And we need each other too. And it's our connectedness, the roots that bind us together, that make us stronger, just like the aspen trees that we talked about. Because being a part of this community means we can share nutrients with each other, that we uh, can feed the next generation that we can give of ourselves to let others thrive. 
And that allows us to be flexible while also enduring. It allows us to overcome the fires of this world. It allows us to not just better ourselves, but also to better the community, our surrounding ecosystem, if you want to call it that. We bring stability. We bring shelter. We bring peace. And this is the community that we are building together with God and his son. And it isn't just for Americans. It's not just for the Israelites. And it's not for any other specific group. But God calls to himself people of every tribe, tongue, and nation. So it's immensely broad, super broad, but also very, very intimate. And as a community that is closer than family, but bigger than any nation. And that is God's grand design. That is his big idea for community. So I want to leave you with just a couple of things to walk away with this week. Number one, be ready to both give and receive in community. So we're like aspen trees in that sense, that we are both going to be sacrificing ourselves for the sake of others to help the hurt, the weak, and the broken. And there are also going to be times that we need to receive, that we need to be on the, when we're broken, when we're hurt, when we need help, we need to be willing to put down our pride and take that from other people. To be, I think that's sometimes harder than giving, is to receive and to do it with honor and respect and humility. Plug into the deep roots in this system, which is community church, which is here, which is North Kent. That's what it's designed to do. That This is how it's designed to be. And we're just like one of those trunks off the entire root system that is the aspen tree of the world, the church of God, that the, the worldwide church of everything that's going on to bring the gospel to the entire world. We're just one trunk of that. Number two, you were specifically created for community. Right? So when God made people, he made them to be together. So a person without a life-given community is like an engine without a transmission or a drivetrain or wheels or suspension or a frame. Like, it's just... Yeah, it can maybe do a lot, but it's not hooked up to anything that lets it do a lot. We just aren't made to be alone. It's not how we're designed to be. Number three, community keeps you in check. So without a community, it's really easy for you to get off track and to find your own way. And we looked at a lot of those verses, and many of them said that community comes with admonishing and correcting and teaching and supporting which means that you're probably going to be doing something wrong and that you need to learn something and that you're weak. So if you want to be able to stick to your faith, if you want to be able to accomplish the daily mission of bringing people to Christ, you need a community that's going to push you into action and pull you back into check. And it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt to admit that at some point you're going to misstep. You are going to do something stupid Am I allowed to say that from up here? You're going to do something stupid. And you're going to do something that you're probably going to have a mental breakdown. You're going to do something that lands you in a bad place. You're going to have bad ideas. You're going to have bad opinions. Everybody's wrong at some point. Okay? But that is what community is here for. Is, is, did I look over my glasses like, oh, man? Hmm. <laughs> 
I just need to take a second to realize what I did. Okay, so back to the sermon. So community is here to help it correct itself. That, that's what we're here for. God has put into place many mechanisms so that we can live for him. First of all, he's given us the knowledge of his word, the scriptures to study. He's given us the spirit in our lives, his power. He's given us his son as both an example and a sacrifice and an intercessor so that we can come to his throne. And he's also given us each other. Paul says in Romans 1, verses 11 and 12, I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. So if you're looking for community, I encourage you, do not wait to give your life over to Christ, to join his church, to join the community that he has created. And if you've already made that decision, which I know most of us have here, don't isolate yourself. I think we can really do that sometimes, and it's damaging. We aren't meant to be these islands floating around the sea of the world, starving, struggling to survive. We're meant to be bound together. Reminds me of the time we went down the Rogue River with the Paras, and I think Jamie was there, and we were all just floating down these inner tubes. But we were all banging into stuff, and it wasn't working right. We were going at different speeds, so we tied a rope, and then we are all floating down as one pod. That's what we're supposed to be doing. We need to lash ourselves together. So if you're struggling, please let me know. Please let someone know. Talk to one of the elders. Talk to someone that you trust in the community. Be vulnerable with them. And I promise that they are going to mirror. They're going to see themselves in you. And they're going to find a way to help you. We will find a way to help you. So may God's love continue to knit us together to an unbreakable community of love, peace, and hope. Please pray with me this morning. God, it's in your son's name that we pray over this church, that you can make us a community that is both biblical, that is loving, that is strong, that is growing, that is changing, that is flexible, that is enduring. I pray that we can uh, meet the goals that you've set before us, that we can rise to the occasion, be the people that you've called us to be. Amen.